Hey everybody, Tian King, founder of King Sports International, coach, educator, and athlete advocate. Today we have with us a very good-looking young Carrie Scheinberg. Carrie, former US Olympian for ski. Carrie, thanks for taking the time out from your busy mum schedule and whatever else you've got going on in life. We appreciate it. Absolutely. I've never looked better, Ian. I know that. I know that. I love the self-confidence, Carrie. And the day you sent me that poster. We're modelling some ski gear with a little comment on the side. That was a, that was a beauty. I think it's still up on my wall today. So I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on on your on your great achievements because we can talk more about some realities for for athletes after sport. But I'll let you guide that. But in all fairness to the listeners, and this is going to be a podcast moving forward. Let's just get a quick snapshot. So you grew up on skis. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, <laughs> but yeah, I started, <laughs> I started skiing when I was uh, when I was two. But mo just on the weekends, it was just a fun family activity. And then uh, I don't know. I guess I just insisted on starting racing. My my older brothers and my older brother and sister raced, so I did too. And then yeah, I just got better and better at it. Realized I was good at it, I guess, and then wanted to keep doing it. Um, so I ended up. Uh, starting to ski every day, going to a school where I could ski every day up in Vermont when I was young though, about 11, 11 or 12, and stayed up there away from home and just with a small crew, about 60 kids in this school and we all wanted to be ski racers. Um, and uh, you know, hey, at least one of us got to be. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you don't remind me of that. So were your parents crazy? Crazy sports parents, do you think, or not really? Um, no, not at all, actually. It, it was, um, I mean, as bad as it can go, sending a kid away from home at a young age, uh, I think this actually worked out pretty well. I liked being away from uh, any pressure that parents might have added if they were around. Um, they were pretty hands-off. I think they were happy to acknowledge that they didn't really know anything about it and sort of leave me in the hands of those who uh, supposedly did. <laughs> and yeah, I found my way. I mean, you know, not, not every coach out there is a great one, but if you've got, um, if you've got talent and drive, you, you, uh, you can make it pretty far before somebody wrecks you. So every sport, <laughs> every sport, well, not every sport, a lot of sports have got parents that are, you know, a classic like tennis, we've got, Tennis dads. Is, is that a phenomenon in ski racing, you think, where one of the parents can get a little bit carried away? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. There's, of course, there's no shortage of little league parents um, in any sport, I guess. The one good thing about skiing is that, um, you know, there's actually physical distance involved in the sport. You're not, you're not trapped yes. in a little, um, a little arena with your parents staring over every single move you make or coach for that matter. So, You've got some um, some real sort of time and distance to do uh, to be alone as an athlete and to do what you're going to do. I think that's helpful. Absolutely. So, for some reason, you uh, were good, and I mean, we know where you were good. Uh, and then that that brought you on to some recognition, some talent identification at high level squads. Yeah. So I think you you know. I don't know what it's like now. I think actually in the sport of skiing, you might even be getting um, sort of less and less participation just because of the, the sort of access to snow and the and the money involved. The money necessary is just 
gotten kind of out of hand. But back then, uh, when I was doing it, you know, 100 years ago, there weren't that many. Um, to be honest, there weren't the women's sort of young girl sports movement as hadn't really taken off in this country. So right. if you were if you were a young girl, female athlete who had athletic talent um, and drive, you were you were going to make it pretty far um, before you run into sort of international competition. So moving up the ranks in the U.S. was was pretty easy for me because I did have a lot of a lot of talent and uh, was competitive. Um, and so I think from about probably 15 was maybe when I went to my first you know national team sort of development camp. Um, I think my high school coach was very smart in not letting me join the national team officially until after until I graduated from high school. Because they want they wanted me when I was uh, after my junior year, so 16 or 17. And he said, "No, I'm going to keep her with me um, for this year, this final year, because I can I know her better than you guys do. She'll she'll do better maybe with a year, sort of gaining confidence and sort of being a big fish in a small pond before you take her off to, to Europe too much." Um, and I think that was, I was lucky. I was really lucky that I had him and he, he knew that. Um, I think that my senior year in high school was like, instead of being the sort of youngest on the US team and you know the one with the jacket on that everybody was chasing, I got to be sort of the oldest um, not on the team and kind of get the confidence of beating everyone and chasing after the US team members and beating them sometimes. That was pretty key. I think there's some a common thread there. A, a lot of athletes who succeed can tie it back to their one of their earlier coaches. And the the I think the unfortunate thing in sport is we probably don't appreciate and we definitely don't recognise from a financial perspective the role of that early early stage coach. And they're the ones that usually shape the outcome in the long run. It's so that's so true. I I always um I always would ask my teammates or my and my you know once we were done my former teammates. Sort of who is your most who is your favorite coach? And you know, I, I was a I, I was on the national team for eight years. I had tons of coaches, um, and the same with all of them. But almost all of them said their high school coach and um, was their favorite. And I think you know a lot of that is just your formative years. Um, it's sort of when you're coming to into age as an athlete. I mean, unless you're like a gymnast and you're you know you're 12 or 13. But for most athletes, I think those high school years are they're they're pretty key. You're really counting on your coach a lot. And I, I guess you're, you know, I do think I was pretty lucky with the one, the ones I ended up with. I was in a good program. I do, I think that's really, really important because once you get to the national team, it's a whole nother, it's just a whole nother soup. Um, and there's different motivations and there's uh, on all sides. So I think in high school, it, it can be, it can really go your way. And it, the longer you can, you know, the longer you can sort of siphon whatever good stuff you can from that sort of nest, um, the better. And so when you got to the national team, obviously, you know, it was it was just like easy. Um, you, you know, you, you embraced everything they taught you. Everyone got on well and you, were the, you got a gold star at every training session. I can't, can't even tell you. And they just, they loved me from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the way they sent me home from that first camp, you know, with just a gentle kick in the ass was, it was so loving. Um, no, it was, it was, uh, for whatever reason back then, and I don't know if it's still the mentality now, to be honest, I really hope not. But back then it was, 
very much a, oh, you're in the big leagues now. Everything you thought you were, thought you knew, we're here to tell you that none of that's going to work anymore. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Because oh, well, Donald, Donald has reset social expectations, so we can say whatever we want, really. It's really hard for me not to curse. But anyway, <laughs> I think... Uh, yeah, I think that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. Um, it was, I still don't understand why on earth a, a national team would want to sort of, I get that they want to toughen you up. I get that you're headed for inter, more international competition. You're headed to new situations. But why you would want to do that with a sort of bully mentality, I don't understand. Why they don't just say, hey, we are here for you. This might be tough. But we're we're gonna prepare you. You've already made it here. You know what you know. You know you obviously knew enough to get here. Let's go. Let's go see what happens. It was more. You don't know shit. Um. You know. And unless you do it our way, well, then you're never gonna get. You're never gonna get any farther than you've already gotten. So I I, I feel like it was. And they did send me home for my first camp because I wasn't in good enough physical shape. The first camp was not a ski camp. So they had never. Well, a lot of the coaches there had never even seen me ski, but they were certain that I should go home and work on it um, before before I even got to try. Um, so it wasn't a wasn't a great start, uh, but you know, I I would say I spent two or three years battling my way through that new situation, and then you know, you find little um, gems in the in the rough or diamonds in the rough, whatever that saying is, and. I found my way to, to a good coach here and there and picked up what I could. It's, I mean, Hey, grow, growing up is hard. Um, well, I, I know we don't like to think the things have changed on. Well, I'm sure they've changed, but from my 40 years of observation, the change has been pretty slow. So um, I, I don't know whether, you know, it's ever going to catch up in our lifetimes or just the concept of individualization of training is something that seems to right. be, um, just, just the refuse to be accepted that, that there's a possibility. I mean, it's in textbooks. It's been in textbooks for quite a few decades. But the concept of looking at an individual and asking yourself, well, listen, you know, how do they think? How do they learn? You know, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How, how can we really individualize this program? Just seems to be a bridge too far. Yeah. Um, I find so. Is, it, is you, that true? Is that true in your? I mean, in your culture as well. I, I definitely. I think that's an American problem. I don't. Um, I don't know if it's different in other countries. I think, uh, I'm, I guess I, that's something to ask other people. I think America, if you, if you look at us on not just sports level, but please, I mean, political at any level, that's just kind of how we are. It's a, it always seems to be a little too much to, too much effort to consider the individual or the long term. And and it's no longer an American concept. It's it's global. In fact, it's more global than it's ever been because. The prior to America taking a better interest in sports development, we had a pretty strong Soviet program. We had a pretty strong German program, uh, you know, East German in, in particular. Um, th those those have shrunken somewhat compared to the per capita spending. I'd suggest that they once were, and so arguably the American influence is is the dominant influence. And over and above that, the influence of you know Hollywood and everyone everyone wants to be American, dress and talk like Americans. So. Um, for me, it's been a fairly unfortunate shift that the that the global influence coming out of America is probably greater than any other culture, despite the fact that I think 
you know, there are other cultures that are more successful in sport. So yeah, it is now a global norm to be, um, you know, let, let, more focused on beating you up and you, you can't be in shape because I said you can't be in shape rather than saying, well, and as a coach, I really don't know what shape is. I really don't know, you know, whether you can be great or not. I, I'm going to drop all my preconceived attitudes towards, you know, you need to be X, Y, and Z measurements. Otherwise, you can't succeed in your chosen sport. No, you know, we, we're, we haven't gone away from that. And, I, and I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not holding my breath on that one. <laughs> I mean, is, is there a difference in, in team sports than individual sports? I mean, I know, like, I, I, in my sport, I couldn't, I was just shocked at when when I made it to the national team and we would, I mean, in my sport, there's a lot of off the hill training. There's a lot of cross training, right? Because you can't always be on snow. Um, I, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that these, you know, my teammates couldn't do in the gym. And I don't, I don't mean like, I don't mean like what they couldn't squat. I mean, like they couldn't kick a soccer ball, you know, or they couldn't hit, hit a volleyball, right? They couldn't serve a volleyball. I mean, it's obvious it was became on and they kicked my butt on the hill or they didn't but it became obvious so obvious to me it doesn't really matter you can't make any judgments across the board about someone's athletic ability um they're the, especially at that level they're there to do a very specific thing and if they can do that thing well then it doesn't freaking matter how fast they run the 400 or not right i mean or if but i'm wondering like if you're talking about it say a rugby team or um you know, are do they do you have certain norms that they sort of try to impose on on certain position people who play certain positions? Like you got to be able to run. Everyone's got to be able to run this fast to play this position. I don't absolutely. know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I'll give you a few, I'll give you a few examples. It's actually worse for team sports athletes and individuals because teams they've got the they've got the argument in the team sport that we've got to do this together. So team sport athletes are 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 in the worst place of all athletes. Individual athletes have a chance. But they don't have a chance to individualize their training when they're in a group environment. So let's say you're in you're in tennis and you, you're you're funding your own team, then you've got a real chance. But if you're in a, a, a state-funded team in an individual sport, yeah, yeah. forget about it. No, you're, you're gone. And, and and team sport athletes, you just throw it away straight away. I mean. I love the chat I had with the, you know, obviously not young anymore, but a young island boy who I, who I looked after as a young man and he went on to play for the national team here in Australia in rugby. And they were so hard on him because he had the lowest beat test, which was a fairly non-specific measurement of, of or attempt to measure aerobic fitness. And he, he, was, um, he was crucified because his score was so low yet there was one moment in the 78th minute of a game where he scored the try that won the game and the series. And, you know, just the question, well, you know, what's the correlation between his on-field performance? And, and then um, he was so happy when another Island boy came along who was even worse than him in that, in that non-specific score. So it took the tension off him. And that, that young boy went on to be the greatest player in the history of the game in our country and played till he was in his late thirties, despite the fact that, you know, he was incredibly in theory unfit. So, yeah, you've got, Shani, you, you, if you'd been in a true team sport, it would have been even uglier. But no, um, you know, I've been, I've been in so many team environments that are meant to be individual sports like swimming. And, you know, we can talk about the debates there about how, no, you can't be treated like an individual. You've got to be treated like you're in a team of individuals. But anyway, so no, there's, um, there's no salvaging simply because the sport is individual, which is why I really enjoy working um, individually. And, and, you know, we, we, 
we did as much as we could. In fact, you know, when we get onto that, it was far more fun for me when we can make decisions between the athlete and, and someone like myself, because as you know, we do what we believe is the best way to succeed rather than the stereotypical or predetermined, you know, you have to be able to vertical jump X, squat X, bench press X and run, run X. And, and if you can't do that, you're not even get selected in the national team. Right. Right. I, I mean, I, I just, I'll never forget that that first camp, this guy just yelling at me. I mean, I, I grew up at sea level, right? I obviously um, was not in my first camp was at about, it was in Park City. It was about 6,000 feet. And they take us straight to the track. It's 95 degrees. And this is they make us start doing intervals. My two, these teammates are just lapping me, you know, <laughs> like gasping for air. This guy come, who I've never met uh, comes up to me and just yelling, you know, Scheinberg, how are you ever going to win anything? You're always last. You know? And I'm just <laughs> looking at him and I'm like, <laughs> Like, you never even seen me ski. You know, it, was like, it was so ridiculous. They're like chucking our water bottles. I didn't say you could get any water. I mean, the whole thing was just insane. I know they don't do that anymore. I know that was an 80s, not little 90s thing, whatever. But it was just, I mean, why they think they want to treat their investment that way. You know, I mean, and, and that's, that's what you are to them, which is fine. It's just, you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't buy a plant, a house plant and treat it like that. You know? like, <laughs> <laughs> would you, I, Charlie, you know, buy a house and start beating the shit out of it mentally or physically, right? Like it's not going to be a good investment for you. So why do they think an athlete is that way? I don't, I really don't know. I don't know. Right. I, I, I asked the same question and I'm in the industry. I've been asking the same question for 40 years. Obviously, I do it differently. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the world mentality. But it's a, it was a, you that told me that really funny story about one of the athletes who was, who was running around the track and yes. <laughs> went over the fence. You want to tell that one? <laughs> that, is, that guy is my hero. I mean, they were doing – it was that same track. It was the same camp. And it was that same heat. And um, they were doing the uh, – the mile test, right? So four times around the track. And um, <laughs> just, I mean, this was sort of like a myth, urban myth because I wasn't there for it, but we were hearing about it at, the, at dinner back at the hotel. And he just, first of all, he took his shirt off, which no one was allowed to do. He took his shirt off, was running. And then on the third lap, he just kept going straight at the curve. And he just went straight, hopped the fence, kept running. And nobody had seen him since. <laughs> It was like four hours later, we're all at the hotel and everyone's going, has anyone seen Chris? <laughs> Nobody. And yeah, he just took off. So forget this. This is ridiculous. He was right. He had the best idea out there. So in, 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 uh, in reality, from my perspective, you had a lot of gifts suited to certain, certain um, disciplines within skiing. So yeah, I believe the training was pretty inappropriate and the treatment was pretty inappropriate. You know that. Um, but if we put that aside, then you know you had some gifts. I mean, you had some you had some agility, some reaction. You had explosiveness. You had some things that set you apart as an athlete. I did. I was. I mean, I look. I was built to play well American football. That's what I think. Um, I like. I can sprint fast. I've got. I've got fast feet. I'm really strong. You know, I could. I could 
throw a lot of weight around in, in, in the weight room. Um, but you know, anything longer than, uh, I would say, honestly, maybe I, maybe I could have built up the mental toughness. I don't know, but mentally or physically anything longer than about two minutes. And I was, I was just, uh, talked myself into a hole and, you know, couldn't breathe. So I would, I think I found the perfect sport for me, to be honest. Like I was a really good soccer player. I, you know, I was a really good tennis player, but neither of those, um, neither of those situations were going to bear fruit for me, uh, in the long run. I couldn't have, I always getting, I was always getting yelled at to run more, move my feet more, you know, have more stamina basically, which, and then, um, and mentally, I mean, look, I found a sport that was basically 45 seconds to about 70 seconds long. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have to create my own, I had gravity on my side and, um, and it was short and, and then it was over. So I think I found my way to the right situation. Um, but either way, you know, no matter where you, what sport you pick, you run into those, you run into your obstacles and then you got to figure out how to, how to solve, how to get, get over them, right. Or get past them. And I think, um, I think physically in skiing anyway, uh, I, I did, I got stronger and all those things. I think mental, mentally was really what the thing that took me down in the end that I just, um, maybe had I met you sooner, maybe had I had some more supportive coaches uh earlier in my career um maybe i wouldn't have gotten so beat down but um that i think that was my undoing for sure was the mental game well i, I get really excited when i get an athlete who's, who's got the goods and, and and even if they struggle to extend the duration of holding those goods because it's pretty tough to develop the goods that you've got like it's it's near damn impossible unless you go back to the womb and start all over again with the genetic right. selections and and it, i don't have any any like it's to walk in the park to help someone extend their their, their explosive capacity um, mm -hmm. out another five seconds or ten seconds. That's the easy part. So you, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you were an exciting prospect. So we we first um, um, crossed paths somewhere. Was it somewhere in Canada or was it in the US? I can't remember. I don't remember. I feel like maybe it was Mammoth. I don't. I don't know. Because um, you were working with yeah, the Canadian team. And I was dating the comedian men's team, <laughs> and um, and that's I don't I don't know where I met you, but I do remember you making fun of my uh, my workout program pretty much right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I don't I don't uh, I don't miss an opportunity to mock the um, the, the American approach. But anyway, no, I, I know we I think there was a few times in Whistler or maybe. Uh, definitely. Anyway, so there's a, quite a few dry land camps that we were at, yeah. the, you know, at the same place. And um, at some point in time, you know, you, you probably got a little bit annoyed with my my uh, smart ass remarks about the American strength program. <laughs> well, I'm mostly just because you were predicting it accurately, but it didn't. It was only annoying because I felt I was pretty stuck with it, and there wasn't, you know, I you weren't presenting me with an easy choice. <laughs> I had been taught to fall into fall in line and that's what I was doing and you were telling me that the line was a mistake <laughs> so luckily they kicked me off the team and then I just came and found you to make my program instead <laughs> exactly and that's a freedom that I, I just love to have and if we had if we could have that freedom with more athletes sport would be far more successful but too many athletes are trapped in in a slave situation, uh, and ironically, you know, more so now out of America. See, whilst everyone's following American training methods, 
many sports in America don't trap their athlete 12 months of the year, where you know, many, many countries that are modeling the American method have, have even more of a control over them. So you have a, if you're a professional athlete, say, in the three or four or five big uh, sports in, in, in America, the pro sports in America, you're still getting a pretty good time away from your team where you can do what you want. But in, 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 a, in Australia and some of the European situations, and et cetera, once they're in that team, their team doesn't let them go for, they hold them on for 48 weeks of the year. Uh, it, it's pretty oh, yeah. tough. So I enjoyed the freedom we had, even, even uh, if it was a tough battle, because when you're self-funding yourself in a, you know, a fairly expensive sport like skiing, it's not easy. Yeah, no, and you were, your help was key. Um, and, it, you know, it's just unfortunate we just, we had only one year. I mean, and I was able to, you know, and they tried to tell me that I couldn't, that I had to follow their program. Uh, but at that point, I mean, really, how can they, what could they do? I just, I finally, and again, maybe too late, got my, found my spine and said, no, I got, I'm, you're not paying for me. So, I'd, you know, I make my own choice here. And, uh, and it was great. And I and and especially when I came back to their testing, you know, the testing in the fall and, um, did better than I'd ever done. So once that happened, they, they knew not to say, they couldn't really say anything else, you know? Um, and they did your, your program did, you know, get me better scores, um, on their tests. And, you know, I also knew at that point enough to know that that didn't need, necessarily need to be a focus. Um, but at the same time, it helped in in terms of confidence and and just um, just that confidence that came from making my own choice and, and do, going my own way, you know, finding you anyway, and and um, yeah, feeling responsible for my own sort of destiny in that way was that means everything to an athlete, and they, they that's that's exactly what they sort of take away from you in the second you make their team is they just they take that um, platform away from you, which just like I said earlier just makes no sense, um, except that it makes their life easier, you know. Yeah, it's, I understand the administrative challenge that presents them if athletes actually have an opinion or if athletes yeah. have an individualised program. Uh, the, the biggest challenge I have with athletes uh, right up to today, and I don't think it's going to change, is saying to a younger athlete, listen, I understand you're really appreciating the opportunity you've got. You've just got a contract. You know, you, you, you feel like you're on your way, but unless you start advocating for yourself, you're not going to fulfill your potential. They're going to wreck you. So you've got to choose between conformity and courage. And you know, it's it's just, it's hard for me to watch this. It's, it's, yeah. it's every day, everywhere around the world, this same dilemma in young athletes more. Maybe there needs to be better, um, ideally better communication and better relations between the sort of high school, um, the high school programs and the national team programs. Um, because I, you know, and, and, and maybe that, that they can somehow work to make it a smoother transition. I mean, I guess as, as, uh, as night, as well as I was, I think sort of taken care of in high school, I, I sensed that sort of, um, I don't know, that tension between, between the high school coaches and the national team coaches. I sensed it and I knew one of the, and, and you know, for a coach to say, no, you're not taking her from me. You're going to screw her up. Well, what does that mean when you finally do get there? How are you going to feel about them? You know, <laughs> I mean, in some ways, as much as I sort of thank my high school coach for keeping me, he also didn't necessarily send me off with tons of confidence into the program I was entering. Right. Um, so 
I think somehow maybe they, they can work to better together or have a more revolving door between like coaches who coach the high school programs move up to the national team then go back down I know in some of the other countries they they did have it seemed to me a better um sort of ladder that coaches went through they started with a sort of d team you know kind of group and then they did work their way up through to the world cup and then they and then they'd cycle back down you know and then they'd take what they learned along the way and go back down. Um, it could work. It, it, it could really suck if you were with that same, if you didn't get along with that coach and he was your coach all the way up through, you know? Um, but I don't know. I don't know the right way to do it, but it definitely- Well, the other thing concerns me is because there's, there's an and I think it's driven out of a, 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 an ego fear that you're in my team now and, and you have to do it my way, which is great. But imagine, let, let's just imagine this. If an athlete came to the national team and the athlete was told, listen, we've got services here with the national team, you're, you're more than welcome to take advantage of them or you can train with anyone you want in your dry land. Right. Imagine that. I mean, that would require them to be competitive. Yeah. They'd have to be good enough for the athlete to say, you know, I, I spent a few weeks with you and I could really see that you're the best, say, for example, Dryland coaches and the Dryland coach program, or the you know the ski program I've ever yep. ever seen. I want to I want to I want to do it with you, you know, rather than you know, there's just this lack of willingness to be accountable, yeah. and that's just on the that's just on the compliance side. What about the you know what about the success? There's so many so many parents that failure is an orphan. Um, that's that's a whole new ballgame because if you do get wrecked, you know nobody was going to put their hand up and say, "Yeah, listen, I probably did the wrong thing by you." <laughs> well, you're right, and also like it, it would. Why isn't it seen as like, oh, hey, here's someone new coming up, doing some cool things. Maybe we can learn by what whatever worked for them. I mean, it's just never. You're right. It's a sort of it's you made it to the national team. They obviously they know that they know what's best now, and you know whatever whatever cockamamie plan got you here is obviously to be ignored now, you know? <laughs> and instead they could mine, they could do be mining everyone for more information and about what works and what doesn't or, you know, and, and incorporating, you know, instead of just, it's one way, you know, it's our way or the highway. Um, and you're right. Athletes would be more, be more motivated to prove that their program is great, you know? Um, just like I was when I, you know, when I chose you and chose your program, I wanted to show, I wanted to show them, you know, um, it was, that was a helpful motivation for me. So I can continue to have my dream. Um, but I, I, it, doesn't, but I, um, it, just, it just hurts to an athlete not fulfill the potential or to get injured and, and, and uh, you know, not even be able to play uh, anymore. But, you know, that's, I think we're seeing more and more. So post-sport, Shiny, you know, you've had the opportunity, obviously, uh, to be away from, from, from you know, Olympic movement and competitive sport for a while, although you did go back as a sports reporter there for a while. So what are some of the challenges that do you think are, are being handled well and what do you think of the challenges that you've left opportunity to be handled better for, for an athlete post their career? You mean, um, like, well, sheesh, I don't know. It's, it's a... Uh... You know, I I don't know how you're supposed to approach the whole like transition. I really don't. I know I know that the I know that school was a great transition for me. It was a nice 
it was a nice way to go from total structure to um, at least have a little bit of structure still, but more, you know, kind of more, um, yeah, more free time. Um, but I still had some little goals to focus on as far as classes and grades and things like that. I liked, I definitely, you know, athletes get really used to being graded every day, um, whether it's numbers or, you know, places or whatever it is, or your coach's remarks, right? So um, school was a good transition for that. Since then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, some people sort of, some people swear by the whole, like, once you've been passionate about something, you know, once in your life, you'll always find something to be passionate about. Um, I can't say that's really been the case for me. <laughs> um, but I definitely noticed how much harder I worked than pretty much anyone else for <laughs> job I had. Um, I expected a lot more of myself than most people I ran into. Um, it's taken me about 25 years to let go of that idea, uh, but I think I've I think I've gotten there. <laughs> I've kind of expected. So, Shana, I hear you, you've changed your number plate. You've you've got a you've got the Olympic number plate or something like that. Is that correct? <laughs> The O L Y after my name, you mean? Is that what yeah, you mean? No, just joking. I know you're you're living a very competitive little part of the world there. <laughs> well, there are what five Olympic, four Olympians, parents in my son's class last year. It's uh, we've got quite a little fantastic community here where I live. Um, but I don't know. I the trend, the whole like life after sport thing. Sheesh, I've seen it work well for some and not so well for others i don't i have no answers ian i'm still figuring it out it's hard i think it's really hard yeah and see the reason i raised it because when when, when the discussion of long-term athletic development became a, a hip a trendy topic and that occurred uh in america about 10 15 years ago you know driven by the content that, that, that the canadian sports science director was building back in the in the late 80s and early 90s and then by the time the americans got it it'd been out for about 20 years and i mean that's just me having another crack at the americans but anyway it became a popular topic but i don't think anyone ever did anything about it in the same way that i don't think any, any, anyone ever really did anything about long-term athlete development like it, it was just lip service nothing not a lot more but that's just my thoughts on that one so shana you're you've also had the challenge now of, of being a mum to athlete so has that been a steep learning curve Oh man, I, I'll tell you, it's, <laughs> I was thinking of you the other day because I, I was watching, I was at um, my younger one, my eight-year-old's soccer, uh, soccer practice, and it was a sort of uh, fairly unstructured, it wasn't just his team, it was sort of an open, supervised open play, so I didn't know the, I didn't know the coach that was there, and um, he's out there, <laughs> he's out there having a blast doing his thing, and um, the coach comes walking over, after a while and he says oh is you, your son's the one with the uh the long hair and i said yep and i was sitting next to another parent um and he said and your son's the one and he said yep and he goes your boys are they're good players and uh we're sort of like yeah thanks you know and he said they're good he said you have to really you know and they could be good he said you have to really watch out who they get for coaches though <laughs> i said okay and uh, and he said, I've only been. I'm from Brazil. I've only been here since uh, since May, and I haven't seen many good coaches. But your boys are good players. And I said, okay, okay. And he was really sweet. And yes, it's like it's you can't miss. You know, my eight year old's like, he's got the same natural you know abilities, talents that I do, right? Like super quick feet, strong kid. Um. Anyway, three minutes later, he comes walking over, 
hanging his head maybe below his knees at this point and he sits down next to me and he said i just did you see that i just i just scored an own goal i just passed it back and it went in my own goal and now they're all talking about me and i said arla dude that guy was just over here talking to me about you know how well you're playing and he just looks at me he's like but i made a mistake and i'm not good that's all they're talking about and I just shook my head. I gave him some water. I said, buddy, just go back out there and play. Have some fun. You're doing great. And I look at the dad next to me. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, I guess I was the one at the Olympics saying I sucked. So why would I think my kids are going to be any different? You know? <laughs> it's really hard when you're sitting there watching your kid be you. And the parts about you, you kind of wish you thought maybe you could make different, you know? Um, I think the, the role of a sports parent as hard, if not harder, than being the actual athlete themselves. And I, I, I did my best to give you a few hints that it was on its way, but um, I'm looking forward to hearing the challenges as they evolve. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, you just really, there's there's just, no, I, I don't think there's anything to be done. You want to think you can be helpful because you have that experience. And, and maybe I can just in like sort of knowing that, he doesn't have to be on every single team that he could possibly be on knowing that either one of them can sort of take their time play lots you know yeah that can be helpful in that way not freak out that like all these other kids are going to some summer training camps and mine aren't and all that crap because i know that that's not helpful right so i guess that's well, where my, where my experience comes in handy but as far as you know actually like on the pitch on the field on the hill you know it's, they still got to do it themselves right the, the, one of the greatest challenges is that we all face is that our kids get exposed to more demands than, than we did. As in generation by generation, the demands become greater. And it, it, it's tough for a parent to say, no, actually, this is not healthy for my child. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've made some mistakes myself and my kids have got lifetime physical um, challenges as a result of my, my lack of certainty and that's that's me me with a bit of experience so I, I have a lot of empathy for all parents who who really aren't in a position to to have, like you haven't done what they're about to do to your child so how do you make the you know how can you get it best informed you can to advocate to keep your child healthy right right i mean honestly i mostly i think it's just less i feel like you know there it's just like the the amount of time and commitment and practice and heart and that they want from these kids at such a young age is so absurd it's just absurd and i get you know i get that sure if you're you know if you're if your teammates are practicing more than you they're going to do better but not for long if you're nine years old sorry mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. absolutely and that's what i'm talking about the whole concept of long-term athlete development was really was lip service you know it was a great little topic it was popular for five or ten years then everyone threw it out and kept going with their i mean when when I started back in 1980, you were doing strength training American high schools, but probably not mandatory, and they definitely wasn't happening in Australian high schools. And we got to the point now where you just about mandatory strength training in primary school, and it'll be <laughs> mandatory strength training in kindergarten before you and I stop breathing. I know, and then and then what I learned from my time working in sports media was how even that just feeds in, you know, it's just this cycle, right? So I was working at ESPN, which is like 24 hour sports. So they need, they need stories 24 hours. And 
they are sort of um, killing any of the authenticity because they're there all the time. What they want desperately is to be led into the locker room, right? They want to know what goes on behind closed doors. Then they actually get a whiff of like what goes on behind closed doors and it becomes this just massive scandal, right? (laughs) And then they don't get talked to anymore and they don't get let in closed doors. So then they go down to like the college. Then it happens at college. Then they go down to the high school. Now they're, you know, now they're televising. Now they um, are televising Little League, right? Little League World Series. I mean, (laughs) it's insane. And all they're doing is they're just ruining it. It just feeds off itself, right? So then these Little League coaches are going crazy because they're going to be on TV. So yeah, you got (laughs) to getting your fucking 10-year-old ready. Oops, sorry. Your 10-year-old yeah. ready. Your 9-year-old ready. I mean, it's it's nuts. It's so nuts. And it just makes you want to, like, send the kid to theater camp, you know? And, and then the challenge with the, the media is that once a, once a, a coach sees that anything on TV, so, you know, player X from from Division X or you know, in the League X is doing exercise XYZ or training math XYZ, it becomes gospel, and then everyone's running around doing it. Right. So, so what's, I mean, so what's the answer? How, you know, how do you sort of, how, how do you get sports back to a fun, to a fun, healthy situation for kids? You know, if, if your kid, I mean, I'm sitting here going, okay, my kids love to move and they're really good at it. And I don't feel like they should, you know, be denied an opportunity to enjoy being good at what comes naturally to them. Right. But at the same time, I don't think they should be in sports. I don't think it's a good place to be, you know? I just, I well, don't know. I think, I think in the absence of, you know, in the, parents aren't going to go, go out and get a, a degree in, in parent deciding around sports. So they're going to ultimately have to follow their instincts a little bit. And, and sometimes there's a, there's a price to be paid. I, like my, my, some of my children have been denied the opportunity to be selected in in A teams in high school because I refuse to let them do their strength and conditioning program. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a, it's a sacrifice that as a parent I've chosen to make in the interest of them long term because of what I know. Now most parents don't know what I know, but the bottom line is follow your instincts and be prepared for short term sacrifice for long term gain. Yeah, it's funny. My um, my eleven year old now is supposed to be being um, five days a week if if he goes and he does the uh, you know, the full-time ski team program here at Park City Ski Team. And I'm, and I looked, and even he was like, I don't, I don't want to ski five days a week. Like I won't get to anything else. And I said, Oh, you're not skiing five days a week. Don't, don't worry. You don't need to. And I'd much prefer you, you know, keep doing your drum lessons, keep doing, you know, music, keep whatever, whatever it is, art. But, um, and I was also concerned that if I signed him up, they do finally, which they didn't until last year, they were like, okay, we'll offer a part-time program for kids, 11 year olds. And, um, and I said, okay, well, that sounds good. That's two afternoons a week and a one week, one day on the weekend. And, um, and I would, but I was worried that he was going to get put with kids who don't ski as well. And then that's no fun. Right. Um, but it turns out that every other, um, ex-ski racer that I know in town who has a kid that age is also signed up for the part-time. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to be with, um, you know, some great skiers. So I'm really glad. And and I know that's why, because we're all, we all, that, that's where our experience can come in, you know, can play to our advantage for sure. And, and I get it. Like, we just know that we can be confident that our 
kid's going to be okay. And I get why other parents don't know that. I really do. You know, it's not their fault. Um, I try, if they ask me, I tell them, you know, I give them my advice. But I also understand why they get caught up in it because they're right. Their kid probably will get beat. And maybe their kid, you know, because they're not on snow as much as the other kid. And, and maybe their kid would lose interest, you know. Um, and maybe they can stave that off a year or two um, if they just get a jump on everyone with extra training time. But I don't, it depends on what the goal, what's the goal, you know, I don't know. Um, either way, I know their kid's not making it to the Olympics, you know, whether they know that or not, whether that's their goal or not, I don't know. So what I tell, what I tell people to remember this is that the coach and the, the sporting team are looking at, at your child as, as, as a, a body that can be replaced by the next kid if, if they fall, get broken, get burned out. But from a parent's perspective, we've only got one, two, three, four, or whatever many kids you've got. You know, we, we've, got, we've got a, you know, we've just got a few of them. We look at it from a different perspective. So you, you decide which game you want to play. You want to play the game of, you know, you throw the eggs against the wall and the egg that doesn't break will become the champion. And that means you've got a couple of hundred, if not a couple of thousand, and none of us are that prolific at childbirth. Or do you take the attitude that every child is every child is like my child, and I'm not going to break them? You know, it's just right. a, a value I wish um, would see more of in sport rather than treating everyone as a as a dispensable object. Yeah, absolutely. But again, back to my time at ESPN, I remember having a uh, there was an all sort of all campus meeting with the the CEO or the head of you know of the company, and he was asking questions like that to everyone. Okay, what do you think? You know, we spend this much money on, on um, broadcasting, you know, something like women's softball. I don't, I don't know what he picked, but you know, we lose money on it. We, why should we? Should we still do it, kind of thing? And I said, well, you know, what's your is what's your commitment to to the greater good, right? Or are you looking? Is are you here to just make money, or are you here to foster and you know create a love of sport and a healthy you know healthy sport environment for for players and for viewers, right? And he said, "Well, that's exactly that's exactly the question, right?" And I, exactly. I mean, I think you could tell what he chose, but um, <laughs> but, yes. but yeah, I mean, you are sort of de in every situation. We all are depending on people to sort of choose the choose the greater good, and that's not always, you know, that doesn't always profit, right? Um, no, too. I noticed that a lot with like. The people I saw win along the way, um, there were very few that were also good people. You know, it's possible. Um, it's just not the easiest route. You know, um, I think it's easier to be kind of a monster and view winning as beating everyone. Or you could, but you could also say, "Hey, I'm part of. I'm going to help everyone get. I'm going to be good. Person. I'm going to help everyone. I'm going to help my teammates. We're all going to do this together." And I'm still gonna win. Absolutely, and that's the thing. It, it, it takes an effort. It takes an effort to 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 do the best by everybody. Right. So, Charlie, we've got a coach on the line. One of the coaches in that program. I'm pretty sure you, you met him at the. You came to the uh, camp. You you came and spoke at our most recent camp in Park City. So I'm just gonna unmute uh, Nick. I think Nick's got a question for you. Nick, you're live. Go ahead. Hey there, Kerry. Um. Again, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I obviously got to listen to you at, at camp in August and um, it was an awesome experience. Um, I've enjoyed listening uh, here on the on the call. Um, 
the question I've got, actually Ian sort of started touching on the subject as soon as I put my hand up, but um, with your kids, obviously being a mum and having seen what you've seen in the sport and just in elite level sport, being in the situation where you can obviously influence your kid and, and stuff like that, was it was it easy for you to sort of like, you know, obviously see with your kids growing and sort of getting drawn to different sports, was the challenge for you still a challenge to sort of keep them interested in a variety or did you see them sort of going towards one sport quite early on and sort of really putting more time into it or did you try and really expose them to a variety and keep them interested in, in a lot of different activity? I think, well, it's funny. I, I think you find as a parent um, you sort of do your best to help them try anything and everything that might sort of interest them um but i my husband and i both quickly found ourselves sort of steering our oldest away from baseball when he mentioned an interest in it <laughs> I tried i really tried to support it um but man that sport is so boring and i just <laughs> i could not get past it and 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 then again Here's what happens in any sport. They start ramping up the intensity, and, and I just sort of looked at him, and I was like, buddy, you know, every Saturday a doubleheader, which means, like, you're talking seven hours <laughs> of sitting there. Anyway, I just um, – so it wasn't – it was interesting because I didn't necessarily want them to be ski racers. I kind of was excited for them to find their way to different um, sports and see what maybe if it would be a different experience. Um, I'm psyched. My younger one is still really into. He's like he, lo he likes being any and he loves soccer right now. And he still plays tennis. And um, I'm happy to sort of get him wherever I need to to get him to try whatever it is, ice skating. Um, but seriously, no hockey, no. Um, <laughs> so no matter what, you kind of end up steering your kids. But um, but they definitely do seem to. I mean, skiing is a lifestyle sport, so we're going to do that as a family. So of course they're going to end up. You know, it's not like we're out. We're going to be out on the baseball field together or um, things like that. So there are some sports where you're just going to end up doing it anyway. Um, if that's what you do as a family, that's what you do. I don't know. I I will certainly try my best to keep them as um, as interested in as many sports as possible. Um, and so far. Uh, neither one of them has gotten so pigeonholed that they're only able to do one. I, 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 will, I will do my best to keep that from happening as long as humanly possible, for sure. Yeah, cool. Uh, adding, adding on to that question, I guess uh, another question would be, um, as a as a mum, do you find yourself, but also as someone who's had so much experience in the sport of, of skiing, obviously, um, is it is it something that you sort of like uh, I don't know how you would approach it but if you were because you can see things and you can help your kid with so many different things are you sort of inclined to really push that help onto your kid or you sort of help them find their way and then sort of you know intervene where you think you can you know where you need to or is it sort of like you sort of let them find their way with the sport and you sort yeah. of let them come to you like yeah I mean ideal. I would say I kept them both out of racing at all for probably longer than most people. Um, and then for my older one, I, you know, it, it, every kid's different. So I would say my older one, he he has a, sm a similar sort of, a more similar way about him to his dad than to me. 
So I kind of end up turning, and that's not just when it comes to sports, that's just life. And, and uh, so I often just sort of let my husband handle that one because I kind of look at him like, I don't understand what his brain is doing right now, it, but you do. So, <laughs> but, but again, sometimes because they're similar, then sometimes I can be more helpful. I mean, that part of that's just parenting, but um, I also, for a long time, just refused to go to the races myself. Um, I just had my husband take him. Take him. I didn't like going. It was too. I didn't feel like I could be there and be a neutral um, sort of party. And uh, you know, my kids don't have the same last name as me, so that's also good because I didn't want want anyone for a while. I was like, I think for a little while they can just be who they are on the ski hill and not my kid. Um, and. Uh, you know, that was nice for a while. Um, my younger one is more like me. I end up sort of, you know, he ends up looking to me more for sort of advice, I think. Um, and yeah, so I think, I mean, I know I can't, I see what I see and I know I can't really change much. I can just sort of get him to the hill, drop him off. If I see that he has a coach and not helpful, I'll get, I'll try to get him to a different one. Um, but again, you know, if he asks me something, I'll give him my best I don't really have that much in the way of advice. I don't love that responsibility. If I can duck it, I will, you know. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Nick, appreciate that. And uh, to your credit, you were there in Park City a few months back there and had the opportunity to meet. Carrie, in, in person, uh, Carrie, you've had a, a longer association, um, long association since you retired. Uh, in fact, even before you retired, I think we got to train, and that was pretty special. We got to train in three different countries, you and I. We got trained in yep. Canada, we trained together in the US, and we trained in Australia. So, very fortunate. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Post career, you got to meet many of our coaches, and in, in, in fact, um, the late Mike Pimentel, based out of Boston, there you you had the opportunity to use him as a as your own coach, um, help you whilst living there in Boston. So you've 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 seen a multi-decade benefit of association with with uh, myself and our company. It's really true, Ian. It's really true. So much. Um, it's been so helpful in unexpected ways and at different times in my life, seriously, especially ending up in the same, when you told me um, to go see Mike when I was living, you know, had just, just moved to Boston only because, you know, because my that's where my husband was living, you know, and moved in with him. And I had all kinds of problems during pregnancies with, my, with sciatica and you sent me to Mike and I just, I mean, he was so influential for a good 10 years, or, but then both my, myself and my husband, um, and then we get to see you now and then, and then now out here in Park City, um, you know, I feel like I see you more often. And yeah, it's just been so helpful um, on so many levels. And it's been fun to get to know your family. It's been really great. Yeah, it's been a great relationship. And then they're, they're the ones we really appreciate. So from the cradle to grave approach to sport, it's not just about your time at your peak, it's, it's about you know, your, your, your time after sport and then the next generation, next generation, love to see the lessons passed on to subsequent generations as we've sought to do and we just do our best with our kids, but there's no, there's no reason why we, we should lose the connection with the lessons we've learned when we pass it on to the next generation. Yeah, and Hunter's coming to live with us, right? Babysit. 
Oh, he would love to. I well, actually, he would love to. You know, when you when you talk about you going living in a you know the ski school there, um, he's actually uh, he's actually asked to go and live in um, Norway and uh, at, at a school that specialises in motorsports. Oh. So, yeah. So he um, he's doing a, he's doing a, a, a U, but in a different. He wants to do it in a different sport. But he, he would he would love to spend more time there with you and your family. He loves. The kids, and you know, he's a great little coach in his, in his own right, and great mentor for the young athletes. So, I yeah. think that that's it's going to happen in some way at, at some stage. And over and above that, um, you know, as you know, we do spend a fair bit of time in your neck of the woods, and looking forward to doing that uh, towards the end of twenty twenty, coming back and spend some time there. Great, that sounds good, Ian. You're always welcome. Beautiful, beautiful place, and always appreciate the long-term relationship we've, we've uh, had over the last, oh, geez, the 90s, 30 years. <laughs> 25. Yeah, 25, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's how young we are, Holy, is it 30? It was like 1997 I met you, 96, 95, something like that. Yeah, mid-90s, so yeah, maybe 25. Yeah, yeah 25. Woo! Beautiful. Amazing. So I really appreciate it. And listen, uh, I want to book you now. We'll be back for our, was it our 16th or is it our 17th? I've lost track. I think it might be our 17th year <laughs> in a row doing our annual peak event for our company out of Park City. We'll be doing it again there in Park City in August 2020. So if you're in the area, uh, if you haven't shot off to you know visit relatives or whatever you might be doing, um, I'd love to have you back up. And I know the coaches appreciate coming along and, Sure. Any with us, uh, you know, we maybe we bring them all down and, and, and watch your kids train and, and <laughs> we'll see what happens from there. Sounds good, Ian. Always happy to see you. Always, always. So say hello to the family for me, and I mean the extended family. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Pleasure, okay. Shiny. Uh, anytime, reach out and trust your own training is going well and we'll talk about that more offline. Okay, sounds good. Take care, Ian. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Shani. We'll talk. All right, bye.